You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back to the Oz Network as we continue our exclusive, exclusive, I love saying that word, recap, rewatch series of the greatest TV show ever to be made, Third Watch. We are into Season 1, Episode 5, entitled Responsible Parties, and plenty to talk about as per usual. And to get things started, let me introduce myself by saying, my name is Ben, G-I-A-M-A-R-E-S-E, Gamarese, like it sounds. And I'm Brady, and I'm back with Ben as well. And does this usually work for you? This sleepless in Seattle thing? <laughs> that is to you, Ben. Does it? Uh, no, it doesn't. Um, that's why I'm single. So, uh, <laughs> and I don't have a child. Same here. So, um, <laughs> I don't. I don't generally go around borrowing people's children for. But maybe I should. Maybe that's kind of. Maybe I'll just take my nephew to the supermarket, and um, you know, I I'm lost. My daddy's lonely. Like maybe that will work. I don't know. Um, but there's, as always, a lot to talk about in this episode. Another enjoyable episode, I feel. Uh, I mean, kind of, I guess, before we get into start, I mean, you, you're obviously enjoying this rewatch series, Brandy. I mean, it's a lot of fun. We both love this show, but, uh, it's kind of, it's fun to be able to go over these episodes. No matter how many times I've seen them, it's still just always enjoyable to watch these over again. Mm-hmm. It is. It doesn't get old, especially this episode right here. This is actually one of my favorite episodes to watch, you know, out of all this episodes that so far. And so I'm excited. It's an emotional it's gonna episode. It's going to get more exciting as we go on with more episodes. And yeah. The action. It is. It is. And it's, I would say it's an opposite episode where Bosco becomes Faith and Faith becomes Bosco. Definitely. That's the best way I can explain. Yeah, and we're going to get to definitely some dark stuff in this episode. Like, it's a very dark ending, and kind of analysing the ending of this episode is, I think, a little deeper than kind of people should realise what actually happens in this episode, because, yeah, we'll get to that. It's pretty deep, it's pretty dark, but um, we'll we'll, we'll get to that. It's right at the end. We're starting off um, straight away, though, where we've got Sally and Davis driving around, and, um, of course, Davis is drinking a ice-blended mocha cappuccino or something, and Sully just uh, has no idea what he's drinking. He's like, why can't you just drink coffee? Um, kind of, you know, we've got this real sort of <laughs> mixture between the two, sort of like old school versus new school. And I, I love I love their um, their conversation. So what he's, Davis is like, asking him, like, oh, you should come around. My sisters want to see you and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, he's kind of like, oh, no, that's fine. And then I love Davis's line. He's like, so what do you do? What do you do? What's Sully time? And, you know, just like, I picture you just sitting around, you know, in your boxes on a chair, watching old movies on a black and white TV. And then I love the way that um, (laughs) Sully's like, you're way off, you know. I've got a color television. (laughs) It's just... (laughs) These two really have bonded, I think, to the point where, you know, they're just... it's, it's kind of as we're sort of watching the developing relationships between these two and then obviously Doc and Carlos. It's just, it really is polar opposites in terms of how they're getting along, isn't it? You know, because like Sully and Davis, they're already kind of like this, this close-knit uh, partnership, but Doc and Carlos, particularly in these next couple of episodes, they're clearly the opposite of that, aren't they? They are, but I will say there's a moment where I feel like there's some respect given. Mm-hmm. And it's with the lady, there's also, there's, it's with the lady who, uh, 
has the symptoms and calls notices them. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, we'll get to that obviously. I don't but get, but yeah, uh, yeah. I, like, I don't want to. I don't want to get into too fast. But I will say that I. I feel like that's also a milestone in a relationship. Yeah. I'd, that right there. Definitely, definitely. But it, it, it kind of seems to fluctuate, doesn't it? And, I mean, obviously we're jumping ahead here with that. But, I mean, it's sort of particularly when we get into the next episode of what happens between those two. But uh, we haven't even seen Doc and Carlos yet. We're, we're definitely not jumping ahead. We, we go to um, Yokus and uh, Bosco driving around as well. And uh, Yokus is making a chicken, uh, which I love Bosco's line. Is that supposed to be a chicken? Um and, you know, we get this great conversation <laughs> about how, you know, she's making it for Emily and, you know, kind of Bosco, what does he say, like, about how, oh, do you have to do that in the car? It's embarrassing. Um, and then I like Yokus's line or something like that when, oh, it's not like the first time people think that we're a couple or something along those lines. <laughs> it's just... I like how she throws the chicken costume around his shoulders too, yeah. like just for emphasis. Yeah. And you can you can see this though, like you can imagine this. Just like imagine. she's trying to be a mother, of course. You know, I mean, she's a mother. She's not trying to be one. And you know, she's obviously got to maintain sort of that lifestyle whilst you know working, because you know, obviously the shift she works isn't exactly ideal for kind of keeping up with these sort of things with uh, her children's lives, which is, becomes a recurring thing across all six seasons. But, um, you know, driving around, making chicken costumes, I'm sure that's a, a common thing the NYPD does, don't you think? <laughs> I don't have no clue. <laughs> it could be common, you know. I mean, there are busy people. You never know. We don't know. It'd be, it's interesting to see if that's something commonly that they do. For sure. And, I mean, look, if there's, if there's any NYPD officers listening to this, please message us in and tell us, do you often drive around making chicken suits? Um, maybe it's just a thing because that... You never know. You never, never know. <laughs> Life does not surprise me as much anymore. Well, there you <laughs> I go. I say that. That is, that is a good way of looking at it. I like your, your attitude when it comes <laughs> to that. Uh, I mean, but obviously from this point on, we hear gunshots. And can I just say... Uh, not to take away from this episode, not to take away from this scene, because obviously it gets really heavy from this moment on, but they are the, the most obvious, you know, movie-sounding gunshots ever, and the way they kind of react to it, the way Bosco's like, that sounded like gunshots! Like, they didn't even remotely try to make it sound like it was actually happening outside the car. They just dubbed that in post-production. Um, just a small little complaint there. <laughs> but uh, obviously we've got the gunshots, and we discover that a child has been shot... Because uh, it's sort of in gang territory, and they straight away go to the gang members, but then all of a sudden you hear a mother screaming, and here's a child bleeding out on the ground. And then, uh, you know, it's a three minutes still, we're going to have a bus there to, to take them away back to hospital. But Yokus basically is like, nope, we're not waiting, grabs the kid, gets in the car, and we are off and running. Now, uh, this obviously sets up again this episode because, uh, kind of this is the main plot line of it, Bosco and Yokus and everything related to, uh, I guess, spoiler alert, this child sadly dies. Uh, so, I mean, really, again, we start off very light and fluffy, pardon the pun with the chicken feathers, but we all of a sudden into some very deep stuff just as the credits start. It is. We are into some, something deep, you know, and uh, they, we did have a first shot on the beginning where they showed a playground just for an instant. So you kind of know that something was going to happen with, some, with, with one of the kids, but nothing like this. And it's pretty deep. But I will have to say this. For Faith, though, I was kind of like thinking, now this is real life. And a child was bleeding like that. I don't know. I don't. Do you, would you have done that? Would you have picked the child up and took him to the hospital yourself? I, I mean, because protocol is like one major thing they focus on in this this episode is like protocol because you got the a new we got a new character who's all about protocol protocol. Yeah, 
I look, it's, I mean, I think kind of what it does well is shows that they have to make these split decisions. And we see that often throughout this series is that, you know, in their line of work, yes, there is protocol. Yes, you've got to follow protocol, but sometimes you have to bend these rules because people can yeah. die. And, I mean, ultimately, this child was going to die no matter what they say that. Like, it wasn't... Faith didn't kill this child by taking it in. So, this child, the wounds were, you know, um, they were fatal already. So, this child was going to die no matter what. But, um, you know, I guess kind of in that instance, you know, when it's a kid involved, you know, Yokus is a mother, and obviously that's a huge element to this episode and her reactions. And, I mean, this is such a strong episode from Molly Price and, and Yokus in general, and obviously we want to touch on that, but... I kind of think it, it works well for her character that straight away we've got a kid like this and, you know, bang, she's she's just doing hell and high water to get this kid there. And it's kind of interesting, isn't it? You think, like, well, three minutes, that isn't long when they say we've got three minutes for a bus. But, look, that is, you know, that is that's crucial time, life and death, literally, there and thereabouts. So they, uh, they have to make these decisions. And, obviously, post-credits, when we meet Morales, it kind of it blends well, doesn't it, the fact that we've got such protocol queen versus, you know, hey, you're not out in the street, you've really got to kind of, um, you know, think about what we're facing out there. Yeah, and the reason I had asked you about the pro, like, if you had done it, because I know that's going to be a question throughout the episode, like, would you have done this, especially when some one of the major scenes happen, you know? I mean, it definitely, but what you said about the life and death, and like, yes, you guys make split decisions. I mean, even... Even if you're not in that kind of field, you still got You still have to. Like, if you had your nephew at the house, or if I had my kid, you know. And so the show does touch on that. And it's pretty. It's pretty good. You know, it does a good job at that. Like you said. Yeah, and I, I definitely feel because. And I do like. The, I do. Like- yeah, and like I guess the conflict we get to with this, which we'll get to with Morales and that too, which is great and kind of, it works well with obviously. You know, I mean this you know, it comes sort of from the, the same realm universe as ER and kind of, you know, watching ER, we're, we're getting the doctor's perspective of everything, you know, so the conflict with paramedics is sort of from the doctor's side of things. Yet uh, this time around, it's kind of, it's the other way around, isn't it? We're getting, you know, the emergency workers out in the streets viewpoints rather than the doctors. So it's kind of like, we're in ER, you're probably siding with the doctors instead of the paramedics. You think, oh, these cowboy paramedics, you know, they don't listen to procedure. This time around, you're definitely like, oh, the bitch doctor, like, you know, stop going off at them they've got nothing else <laughs> that they can that. do so um i mean that leads oh us perfectly goodness. in to uh here we go morales doc morales lisa vidal our first taste of her and look let's be honest she's she's doesn't start off great but she's great I, I really do like morales and the character and it's kind of interesting kind of going on you know a recurring element we talk about how they like to use actors and kind of you know put them into different roles even though they're the same actor and, you know, one of my little nitpick of mine, which is a really thin nitpick because I think it's unfair to use this as a thing against this world because, you know, ER was invented five years before Third Watch, so it's kind of unfair to say, hey, they use actors in ER, then they use them in Third Watch as different characters, even though they're in the same universe because we obviously get the spin-off episodes. But Lisa Vidal, she went on to play a significant character in ER too. I believe it was... um. Oh, I've gone completely, completely blank on the the doctor. She was in a um, she was in a same sex relationship with one of the main female doctors, and I've gone blank on her name. Oh, as an ER fan, I feel terrible. She was one of the really main characters in it. Anyway, but um, I'm learning stuff. Yeah, well, you are. I'm educating you here, Brandy, so that's what I'm trying to do. But um, it starts off really like, you know, here we are, straight away, uh, Yokus brings in the kid, you know, rushing in, you know, it's all tense. 
And basically, it's kind of like she's still got time to yell at Yokus to be like, that's not procedure. What are you doing? <laughs> it's like, why aren't you saving this kid? Stop yelling at people. Like, come on. Uh, but I guess that's her character. And then uh, I do like uh, Bosco, the way he, like, when she walks off, Bosco's like, bitch. <laughs> oh, love that. I, I just, you know what? And Morales, well, Lisa Vidal, she's such a great actress, first of all. I love her in some of the movies she's played in. But this character, Dr. Morales, I forget, she is such a good character that I forget, I forgot how much of a bitch she was in the beginning. Yeah, well, that's it. That's the you thing forget you forget, that. don't you? Because on. she becomes such a, 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 you know, a character in this show that, you you know, you obviously eventually really like her. But it's it's interesting to kind of watch these, isn't it? When she's like, she's such a bitch. Like, there's no other way well, of putting it. But that's what's so good about her character is just how, you know, mm-hmm. how basically this works. So, um... Because it just, I just love it. I, I love how they used her as a character in this episode, like the protocol, and like, how, like you said, how they introduce us to like what goes on in the streets versus like you know what the paramedics do. Now it's more like if a cop has to do something, you know, or like one of the other field, if one of the other, what's the word? Other uh, workers in the field, basically. paramedics. If they, yeah, they don't focus. Well, no, it's cops. I was going to say other work. I was trying to look for another word. Oh, right, 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 right. I got you, got you. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's um, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's interesting, isn't it? But um, just quickly, uh, uh, I've just um, I had a name. I've lost it. What am I doing here? Kerry Weaver. There we go. That's the character in ER. Ben, come on. You're not a fan of ER if you're forgetting, uh, you know, Doctor Weaver's name. Ben, jeez. Um, but yeah, so it's. I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting introduction, and we'll get to more of Morales across this episode and across uh, the coming seasons as well. But uh, sort of in between here, we get just a couple of sort of passing scenes. We get Doc and. Carlos, uh, we get uh, them treating a girl who's fainted, she's refusing treatment, but then sort of Doc reads into it a little bit more and, uh, you know, realises that uh, she's bulimic um, and sort of she picks up on that. Uh, sorry, he picks up on that. Then we've also got Jimmy, he's watching the football and we meet Joey for the first time, actual Joey. Because uh, I think we got a bit of Joey in one of the other episodes that wasn't the actual actor, but uh, this is actual Joey. Um, and so we also meet the captain, which, I mean, I, that's a different captain than we get from ultimately from this season. And for the very first time, really blink and you miss it moment, we meet DK, who will become obviously one of the main supporting firefighters across this show. And again, I think we've mentioned it already, but DK, uh, Derek Kelly, that's what we all call him DK, he's actually not even an actor. He's a real FDNY firefighter who basically was a consultant on this show who obviously had the ability to be able to act a little bit because he actually then stayed on as one of the main supporting roles across the six seasons. And interesting fact too, if you didn't know it, he is the real-life husband of Molly Price slash Yokus. So there you go. If you, I don't know if you knew that, Brandy, but um, that man that you see, and we will see him a lot, he is in real life. And to this day, time of recording this, they are still married, they've had children, so they're happily together. And, um, yeah, I didn't know if you knew that Molly Price was married to him. I didn't. I I might have in the past, but it probably slipped my mind. Because <laughs> I have read that she was married. I read the guy's name, but I don't... Maybe I just didn't put two, two together. <laughs> but that is pretty cool. That is pretty awesome. You know, it's, um, that is awesome. Yeah, and I think kind of that came to note, too, because... Um, 
sort of in season three when they did, um, the, you know, the premiere, they did that in their own words episode, sort of post 9-11, where it was just uh, them, you know, basically just speaking to actual emergency service workers who worked um, on September 11 before they sort of got back into the, the series. Uh, actually, Molly Price was the only cast member that was interviewed as opposed to introducing segments. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but um, it's, a- it's actually an, in- it's an interesting kind of take on it because, you know, here you are sort of expecting this episode of... Um, you know, yeah, actual real-life emergency service workers talking about 9-11 and th- there's Molly Price and you're kind of like, well, why are they interviewing her? Like, you know, she's just a, a cast member of this show. But obviously, you know, DK, Derek Kelly in real life outside of this show worked during 9-11. So, it's kind of, it's an, it's an interesting take on this. And it, it, it's, it's I think it's great that you find out it's not just DK, you know, there's Walsh and there's a couple of the other ones that are just sort of long-serving, uh, you know, side firefighters. And you just, you assume they're actors because they're actually good actors. They're not kind of these people who you can quite clearly tell are nothing more than a, you know, an actual, you know, cameo or something like that from somebody who's just trying to act. Like he's, it's just natural. The relationship he has with like Jimmy and kind of all the firefighters. And that's one thing that kind of works with the firefighters, I feel, is that even though you don't get to see them as much as paramedics and police, you still just get that real camaraderie, don't you? That real kind of like bromance between the guys, particularly. You do. I I agree to that. You do. And this show does a good job depicting that as well. For sure. You know, I know. It does. And I had a question for you. So the DK and Molly, did they both, did they meet on set or was she married to him before? I believe they met on set. I believe it kind of came about that they met from Third Watch. So, um, I mean, that's, it's a nice little love story connection there. And again, it's, as I said, sort of in real life, they're still together. Um, so, uh, that's great. It's not like they're sort of divorced or anything like that. So, um, Good on them. And oh, I, well, I hope not. Well, I mean, <laughs> at the time of recording this, I mean, like, look, by the time we release this, if it's, you know, been released in the, yeah, the tabloids or something like that, that they've broken up. I'm sorry. We didn't do it. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> I would hope not. I mean, it's such a romance story. I love hearing that people are still together. And I remember reading about she was still married. And so I'm not surprised. It's, it's pretty cool, though. Yeah. I mean... Thanks for the info, Ben. You're welcome. We're here to educate and entertain all at the same time. But uh, obviously, this is a bit where we can see Joey. Kim can't find a babysitter. So, um, you know, here we are. Jimmy's got to look after him a little bit. And we get sort of, you know, Kim being the responsible mother. Like, you know, oh, just, you know, make sure you feed him, uh, you know, everything that's good. Like, no soda, no candy. He threw up for an hour last time. And obviously, Jimmy's more into the football, isn't he, rather than the uh, actually listening to this. But, uh, you know... Take note of that. We'll come back to that soon. Then we get uh, this kind of, you know, loose... It's We don't get a lot of Sully and Davis this episode, and it's kind of just, you know, minor storyline, which is a, it's almost a comic relief, really, of this episode, isn't it? So, it is. Sully's it is. getting a hot dog. Davis is waiting. Davis sees a, uh, uh, a purse snatcher, and, of course, they chase this guy down. Davis knocks him. This guy just doesn't want to be hit. I love this guy. He's just like, don't hit me. Don't hit me. It's like, I didn't hit you. Um, and then, so, the thing I don't get about this sequence, because Davis is all like, hey, cool, I caught a purse snatcher. Sully runs after it, and he gets goes off with this guy, like, oh, yeah, real pro. He throws his hot dog on the ground. What is wrong with his hot dog? He just ran away a little bit. Like, why is his hot dog ruined? Am, am I, is this an American thing? Like, you can't eat a hot dog no, after you've run? <laughs> no, it's not. No, because I was mad as heck, too. I was like, first of all, you get a perfectly good hot dog. What he was probably mad because all the relish and the mustard fell off onto his hand. You know, I get it. I do get it. But 
go back and get some more. Exactly. Like, I mean, he's just paid for that. Like, he's just jogged around the corner a little bit. And from what I can see, it's not it's not like he lost the, the, the dog. Maybe there was a bit where, like, it fell out of the bunny, picked it up and put it back in there or something. But, like, <laughs> but, but there's, in my eyes, there's nothing wrong with that top dog. Well, he, well, he shakes his hand like something on it, like it fell off his hand. Like, okay, if you have a hot dog, you put all the fixings on it, relish, mustard, ketchup, and you're running, it, it starts just to slop everywhere. Yeah. So I get what he's doing. He's probably just pissed. He's Sully. He's pissed. He's just like, it's not perfect. Forget it. <laughs> just grumpy. <laughs> grumpy Sully. Um, yeah. It works well, though. Uh, but we'll come back to this person, Hatcher. He, he plays a role in this soon. Uh, quick cut back to the hospital and sort of mentioning before with Doc and Carlos. Doc mentions, uh, well, Carlos asks, how did you know about, um, you know, that there was more to this than just her fainting? And basically, Doc says, oh, look, I saw the yellow teeth enamel, basically, from vomiting. That basically is implied, I guess. And then um, we we get Dana. Hello, Dana. You've kind of becoming obsolete. Can we just point that out? Dana really becomes obsolete. She starts off as sort of like this side character seeing Bobby. And I, we don't get any resolution between Bobby and Dana. Like, in an episode's time, when basically Bobby's trying to hook up with Kim, is he still with Dana? Like, where's the breakup between these two? Like, is poor Dana still pining for Bobby in the background? But, like, Dana pretty much becomes obsolete. <laughs> so, I don't know if you sort of noticed that. But, yeah, so we kind of get... I did. I did forget about her. Well, it, I was. that's easy. Because, like, she was there and she's not there. That's pretty easy, let's be honest. Sorry, Dana. I mean, you seem nice, but you, you're pretty you're pretty irrelevant to Third Watch. Um, so, I'm glad you got to have sex well, with Bobby. I mean, that's a positive. Um, so. Well, let's back up. Let's back up, though. She, oh, no, I think, I don't know. I don't think there could have been as much potential. Like, do you know the actress's name? Oh, I, I can find know. it for you. It wouldn't be that hard. But, yeah, like, yeah, I'm sure there's potential, but it's kind of, it's interesting, I feel, with a lot of these side characters, at least from the hospital, that, I mean, they sort of are a thing, like, that we, I feel from, like, season two, season three, they maintain a similar staff ratio for the, uh, for the hospital, and a lot of them, yeah, do become sort of actual characters, but, uh, yeah, so, Eon is Dana Murphy, Monica Trombetta. Um, but she really does become like an absolute side person to the extent that you just, you just don't realize at some point that she's no longer in the show anymore. Uh, spoiler alert, she just disappears at one point. Um, and just looking at her roles here, since Third Watch, she's actually only been in two things. She was in the film No Reservations, the Catherine Zeta-Jones, Aaron Eckhart film, where she played Liz. Oh, my God, my movie. You like that? I love that movie. There you go. Well, I Dana's don't remember in it. her in that one either. Well, clearly she's just a forgettable actress. And then she was in a short film in 2012 called Reunion, where she played Lisa. So, clearly she has done basically nothing since Third Watch. So, uh, again, maybe this is the curse of Third Watch here, Brandy, the fact that it just kills off careers including the the ever lovable dana i don't know i'm really trying hard to think like what does she play in no reservations because that's my favorite movie i watch that nonsense i watch that like every year i don't remember oh gosh you're gonna be watching it again like after we've recorded you're gonna be definitely into it like i need to watch that <laughs> so. <laughs> like i don't know maybe she just had it i don't know i mean you're right because like I forgot all about her until I started rewatching the show, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, Dana!" And then you forget about her, and then you watch you watch the show again, and you you remember her again for like a few moments, and you forget about her. It's it's really it's true it's truly like that. Well, it's kind of interesting just quickly scrolling through here, kind of like through the cast members who've been in the most episodes. So like taking out the main characters. So, sort of the, the build people in the credits. So, the one here I'm seeing who's in the most episodes who was never billed as a main 
lead, like a main actor, was uh, Lieutenant Swirsky. Uh, he was in it for 70 episodes. Then you've got Walsh and DK. Walsh is in it for 57, and DK's in it for 53. Now, Fred is in here for 53 episodes, but he's then billed as a main cast member. But then you look down, so you've got to go through Nurse Mary Proctor. I don't think she comes in it really to the next season. She's in it for 38 episodes. Interestingly, Holly, when she comes into it later on, uh, she's actually never billed as a main cast member, even though she really is a main cast member, which is kind of... It's interesting. Um, but just kind of... I'm trying to find where Joey is here. Joey Doherty. Here we go. 16 episodes he's only in. I feels like he's in it more. The actor is Christopher Scott Fiedel. Uh Has he gone on to anything since Third Watch? Uh, no. He's been in one movie since Third Watch. He was in a movie called Fortunes. Never heard of it. Where he played Marlon Yunt. That was in 2005, and he has not been in anything since 2005. So, again, Third Watch killed young Christopher Scott Fiedel's career. <laughs> and then uh, also, we talked about that. I think we talked about Faith's son at one point. Charlie, yeah, they, they changed the actor. It's kind of, they do that with Emily, obviously. But um, I think Charlie kind of, dis- like, Charlie, I think he's the same actor for at least four or five seasons. Then he just disappears for, like, half a season. It's kind of like Faith just only has one kid. And then I think it's in the sixth season we get just random Charlie appearance and it's a completely different actor. Well, because, like, and if you notice, like, Emily got more uh, plot lines, too. Oh, absolutely. Like, when Faith would always tell, like, how, like, oh, like, starting out when she was, like, 13, like, you're not wearing that to school. Never did Charlie ever once have, like, issues. Like, they never once did anything with Charlie. Yeah. And so he kind of just faded in the background. Well, they needed to and- age... If they needed to age Emily, you know. So I think they fast-forwarded her age at least two or three years to make her, you know, the naughty little 16-year-old. But, yeah, just quickly here with Charlie Yocas. So... Uh, the original actor is Jeremy Bergman, who is in 26 episodes as Charlie, and then kind of when they've forgotten about Charlie existing and quickly, hey, let's make him older and relevant to the plot at the end of the show, uh, it's played by another actor called Mick Hazen, who's only in it for two episodes. So that's how much they care about Charlie, about Yokus's son. So uh, if you're watching this for the very first time, don't get attached to Charlie. Uh, because he's kind of the Dana, the Dana of the Yokus family, kind of irrelevant. Oh, goodness. <laughs> I feel mean saying that, but hey, it's the truth. Come on now. Uh, we still love you, You know Charlie. what? We're not trying to let anybody down. No. We're trying to be honest here. No, we love you, Charlie, but uh, you're really uh, sort of irrelevant. But I do I do like this, this scene here when um, Doc's talking to Dana, and we kind of get sexist Doc here, don't we? When Dana's like, talk, says mentions like, we're Dr. Morales. So then Doc's like, oh, new, new attending or new doctor, and it's like, oh, no, new doctor. And then he says, oh, how is he? automatically assumes that a doctor must be a man. Sexist dog. Um, and then Dana says, oh, no, she, to which, of course, Morales walks by, and we get Carl. This is, again, Carlos is really starting to become Carlos at this point, isn't he? The way he's all like, whoa, damn, now that's a woman. <laughs> I love creepy Carlos. I really do love creepy And I creepy like how Carlos. Doc is like, She's a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> he, she like, clearly he's just not attracted to doctors or something like that. But, um, yeah, just... I think it's... You know, I mean, get a little bit. I think it's because we see, like, with the protocol thing, I think, you know, when we get to that scene, I think I can explain more why. Yeah, oh, for I sure. Just, I agree. It, I definitely you know, agree. Yeah, he's been there before. He's probably like, I'm over it. I've been there. Yeah. You know, they don't understand what we do out in the streets kind of thing, yep. you know? Yeah. So. From there, we, yeah. we, we then cut back to... Uh, Davis and, and Sully's perp. Uh, and 
this is my opening line for a reason. I love this little old lady. She's in it for all of 30 seconds, but she's more memorable than Dana is across, like, 12 episodes, let's be honest. Yes, she is. <laughs> Just the way she's all like, you know, quit poking me, keep prodding me, you know, like, I'll get a doctor to come to my... And I love Kim's reactions, like, when Bobby's, like, trying to, like, check her over. You can see Kim in the background just laughing at, you know, this woman, like, everyone always trying to poke me, like, everyone thinking they can just... <laughs> This woman is amazing. Like, when you get a certain age, they think they can man- manhandle you. <laughs> <laughs> She's so good. But then we kind of find out she is the mother of renowned gangster, New York gangster, Ralphie Gamarese, um, the mob guy. And Sully finds this humorous, of course. Um, and then basically this guy, this purse snatcher, realizes his issue. And this obviously becomes a recurring comedic element of this episode that he wants to stay in jail. I really think we can just kind of talk about this now because, it's, I mean, there's nothing really really more to Sully and Davis in this episode, except we kind of get, you know, this little funny scene of um, basically him wanting to stay in jail in exchange for information and kind of just as they're about to release him, I love it how he punches Sully and he's like, there, I just assaulted you. You have to arrest me. And he's (laughs) the way Sully, like grumpy Sully. That's a new thing. Hashtag grumpy Sully. He's like, I forgive you. Try that again and you'll be leaving here with a foot in your ass. So, I just love the way he says it. And ultimately, this this ends up him pissing on uh, Detective Tancredi, which, you know, is probably a good thing. He's like, oh, I'm going to put you under the jail, you son of a bitch. Um, but it's just, that's kind of, that's Sully and Davis in this episode. And obviously, we get kind of this little random throwaway scene of um, them in a car chase and uh, sort of Sully warning Davis not to go to it. And I mean, I guess David, I guess, is a little bit pissed off because he doesn't get uh, a collar out of this, you know, because Sully gives it to Tancredi. But um, it's kind of, I just thought we could may as well touch on Davis and Sully because there's really not a whole lot to talk about them in this episode. No, but I mean, I do want to go back to the whole. To the to the suspect. What is his name? The sus- is it? Oh, um, yeah. So memorable is he that I don't even remember his name. <laughs> I don't even remember his name. I don't know why I want to call him French. I don't know why. Well, look, but, you um, can. There you go. That, go with that. That works. I don't know. I don't know. I heard Sully say it about one of the suspects. I don't know. But the suspect is just... Uh, I lost my train of thought. Are you kidding me? <laughs> and it was a good point. It was such a good point. And I wanted to... T- Damn it. <laughs> I hate when that happens, man. What is going on with us tonight? <laughs> don't know. Don't know. We're just... Uh, we're too high up on this uh, this lady. Uh, <laughs> Gamma Razzy. Um Well, okay, here we go. Here we go. But it's... You know what I found funny is that he wanted to stay in jail, but then... What makes you think he does not... Ha- that guy, does- Ralphie, does not have reach in jail? You know what I mean? Well, this is... A- yeah, so yeah, you're right. Funny, but- and he turns rat. I mean, can we not point out the fact that, like, he's he's turning rat on some bad guys, as Officer Tangredi says. So, like, to me, this guy's digging himself a bigger hole by basically rolling out on all these other people. It's kind of like, okay, you're going to be terrified that this gang leader's coming after you. But at the same time, you're also not making it easier for yourself. And like, as you said, yeah, if you're a mob boss, you've got connections in jail. It's not like he's not going to, you know, I mean, he's just pissed on a detective. He's going to jail. He's going under the jail, clearly. It's not like he can just make a couple of phone calls. So this is kind of this episode, isn't it? Like, this episode has things in it that happen that are pretty bad. But if you actually overanalyze what happens in this episode, like... It's pretty bad. This guy is probably getting shanked in prison. Yep, pretty much. 
pretty much. She's done. Hmm. You know, and if it's not by inmate, it's by one of the guards. Well, exactly. Exactly. He's pissing on people. I mean, look, here we are, Brandy. We what? Last episode, we're killing a kid. Now we're killing poor, um, poor uh, French or whatever his name is. What? <laughs> But if you push an old lady, I don't feel bad for you. <laughs> yeah. Screw you, French. You don't push down Jim crazy. No way. Not about it, man. <laughs> no one touches that awesome yeah. old lady. I'm with okay. you there. Screw you, French. Go rot. Um, <laughs> anyway, so that, I mean, that's Sully and Davis. I don't know if you've got really anything else to add on sort of them in this episode. I mean, it just... Nah, just the whole... I just... I, I think, you know, I don't... Vasali and Davis's line, not much besides the whole, when he believes that he, uh, when he doesn't want to listen to Sully once again, but then I feel like this is what he appreciates Sully's, like, veteran ways, because he's like, I never noticed the taillights, I don't know, we didn't talk about that yet, but the guy basically, they didn't want to be suspect, the guy stops his car, Davis gets out, and is like, I'm gonna go talk to this guy, and Sully's not like, wait up, something's not right, and then Davis, of course, is like, Thinking Sully's been the grumpy person again, not letting him handle his own business or h- handle what's going on. And Sully's just like, wait up, Davis. And so Davis comes back to the car and tries to argue with Sully. And then the guy, there's a gunshot, the, wind, the windshield blows out. And it's just one of those good scenes where I feel like it kind of sets some respect, you know, because Davis is like, wow, I never would have thought about that. And it's true because. I thought some more about that, and I was like, you know, real, you really don't think about officers thinking like that, you know? We, in real life, when you think about police officers, you think about them getting suspects or, you know, for help, but you never think about the details they actually got to pay attention to. Yeah, and exactly. You know? And it's kind of, as, as Sully says, like, you're right. Like, he says, like, oh, I just noticed it because I've done, like, you know, 17,000 traffic stops or whatever he says, but... But, um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it, kind of with these episodes because we can't... It fluctuates where, but I, obviously, between the police officers and the paramedics have kind of one set of the paramedics and the police officers seem to have, like, the main storyline and then the others kind of are just minor in the background. So this one, clearly, it's Bosco and Yokos with David and Sully in the background and it's... You'd probably say it's actually maybe Jimmy is the main focus of this more so than actually, you know, e- either of the paramedic couples. But, like, fast forward next episode, you know, Bosco and Yokos's storyline is very minor and it's obviously more about Sully and Davis. So it's, it's kind of interesting how they fluctuate and they obviously try to this is what i think it does third watch does very well kind of as we keep saying about the character driven nature of this show the balancing of it and like it's kind of in in recapping these and you take your notes you realize there's a lot to talk about like in comparison to you know obviously around about the same time here we're recapping nip tuck and it's sort of i mean nip tuck's a very character driven show too but there's less people to focus on so there's not as much and there's more focus i think on individuals in nip tuck whereas third watch it's a, it's a very large ensemble cast you know we've got nine main characters here to talk about so it's kind of it's it's dealing with all these plot lines and not all of them associate with each other i mean really this episode they really don't kind of associate with each other except for minor little, you know, bits here and there. But all storylines in this episode really are their own separate entity. So this is where it's it's a it's done so well. The first two seasons in particular, I would almost call it perfect the way it does it. And it's not to take away from three, four, five and six, particularly three and four, which I feel are underrated seasons. Five is kind of I think a seventy five percent does it well, twenty five percent it's tailing off. And then six, we've obviously got our issues with six, but it's still good. So I think kind of really watching this and really paying attention to the minor details in one and two is going to be interesting to kind of see how we'll maintain this, you know, thought process on it because obviously it will change slightly, 
but it's just it's 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 rare that you find a tv show able to adequately adequately cope with so many characters and deliver it to the point where you really don't feel like you're missing people even jimmy let's i mean look this is kind of jimmy's first real episode where he's got a lot to deal with and you still feel that Jimmy is a key character in this show, even though five episodes in, his screen time is much less than all the other eight main cast members. I just got to say, Jimmy, Jimmy's uh, part in this episode, with, along with Faith and Bosco, just makes this my favorite episode. Because it's so deep. Mm. This one's very deep on different levels. I will say that. And this is like one of the times you really get to see it, you know, into Jimmy and like how he is and, you also get to see that he's not—he's not such a douche. No, a little bit. Well, <laughs> he's not such a. <laughs> well, he is, but here's the thing: like you kind of get to see, like he does know that he's in the wrong. Like he does have some type of conscience a little bit, even though he doesn't doesn't mean he's gonna like work, you know, fix it because things don't happen overnight. But I—that's what I kind of get from this episode: is that you. You kind of see that he realizes he's still in, he's kind of in the wrong. I don't know. It's hard to explain. I, I get what you mean. But. I do. I definitely get what you mean. And it's, it's interesting with him, kind of, because as I said, like this is really his first real episode where I think we get to see more of a layered Jimmy. Because all we've kind of really got from him is, I mean, not a whole lot at this point, is it? You know, we kind of he's a bit of a dick to Kim. He's a flirt. He likes to pick up women in limos. He likes to steal people's meat. Um, and yeah, that's kind of really all we've got from Jimmy. Whereas this is. We, we get to see Jimmy being Jimmy, you know, he's into sport, he kind of, you know, is implied as a bad... I don't want to say he's a bad father, I don't think that's the right word. I think he's just out of his depth as a father, and kind of as Bobby puts it perfectly in this episode when, you know, Jimmy's trying to be Joey's friend, but kind of as Bobby said, it's like, hey, you know, we've got lots of friends, you need to be a father. So, it's... I think Jimmy's just learning how to be a dad, and, and even though, like, what, Joey's five, six, um, it's kind of he's still learning, which is, it's interesting because he wants to have this life and clearly he's having this life by using his six-year-old son to pick up women with, to sleep with. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, I agree. Yeah. It's, it's very, it's layered, Jimmy. I would just say that part where you just said, was like, where Bobby talks to him about it. I mean, you get to see like, he does, he does have like a thought process where he's still learning. I mean, honestly, if it wasn't for this episode, like if, if he didn't show some type of like, not remorse, but some type of acknowledgement to his actions, I probably would not like his character at all. But since you can kind of see it throughout, I it's like okay, I kind of like his character when he, you know. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, yeah. it's it's yeah, I again, as I said in the other episodes, like Jimmy was never my favorite, but I, I I appreciate Jimmy for more of what he is over the rewatches, and I mean, I don't dislike Jimmy. I guess it's kind of, it's not our fault in a way that you kind of, out of the nine main stars, you know, Jimmy's always kind of, sadly, the most irrelevant. Just, But, I mean, I guess that's, again, not the fault of it because, of, as we sort of mentioned, Eddie Sibrin was kind of just written into this because he was just so damn hot. Um, so, like, he was kind of tacked on at the end of it. And when you're focusing on three different professions, you know, you can't always find a storyline where firefighters, paramedics and police always need to be involved, you know what I mean? And, I mean, really, we've only had glimmers of firefighting storylines, you know, so, I mean, there are plenty to come still, but it's just kind of, he's there more as a character and you're not, even not really seeing his profession, so, um, it's interesting how they're sort of doing it. Um, we should really move on, I mean, we're definitely covering a lot and sort of going over some other bits here, um... 
we sort of get a, a brief little, a nice little scene here with Yokus. I mean, it's not nice in terms of what she's having to do, but it's it's very well acted by Molly Price. The way she's talking about, you know, the blood out of a shirt and kind of, you know, obviously she's dealing with his child's death. We find out the child has died. Um, and obviously we find out that uh, the gang that was shot at, the two sixes, and then uh, they're basically saying, look, if the two sixes were shot at, Cesar Dominguez would know about that. So, um, and what does uh, Bosco say? Something like, are you okay? Or something like that. And um, she's like, yeah, a little boy just died trying to play in the park. You know, none of this is okay. So, clearly, you know, it's really affecting Yokus. But we'll obviously get to that. Uh, we touched on this a little bit, I feel, just then. Jimmy, the supermarket. Uh, <laughs> I do like this scene. Have to be said about uh, little Christopher Scott Fetal here. Uh, I'm surprised he hasn't gone on to be in much else because he's actually a good actor. Like, you know, when you watch a show or a movie and you've got a little kid and they're just annoying as hell and you're like, oh God, they're a terrible actor. Like, yeah. they're cute, fair enough, but you just yes. can't act you're annoying. Like, he's actually quite a good actor for a six-year-old. So, um, props to him. And this, this scene's cute. I do like, it's like, again, you overanalyze this scene. Jimmy's just using his six-year-old son to get laid, but hey, it worked. And I love, you know, he's just, just think about this. Like, this is Eddie Cibrian. Like, he's, he's sexy, he's hot, you know, he's gorgeous. Come on, everybody. We can all see it. Those dimples. I mean, oh, we're getting weak at the knees. And he's a firefighter. I've got plenty of female friends who have the whole firefighter fetish, right? They, they love it to bit. So, like, does he really need to use his six-year-old son to pick up ladies? I mean, he's he's a, a very attractive guy who's a firefighter. To me, that kind of tick... That's like, to me, if I meet a hot girl and she's a cheerleader. Like, she doesn't have to do anything. Like, I'm, I'm already in love with her and marrying her. Come on. <laughs> um, um, to be the opposite, he kind of does. Because if he wants to pick up the kind of female that... Is like her. She doesn't seem like she's has the hot spot firefighter. She has to. Come, he probably sees that, so he probably has to come at it with his kid. Yeah, you know, because not every female is like that, you know, and not every guy wants the cheerleader. Because oftentimes, you know, they say cheerleaders are easy or whatever you want to say, and so I don't. And I have friends who are cheerleaders. I haven't heard so that, Brandy. Maybe I need to come to America it. more then. I'm glad I have that information. Writing that down for my trip in a few weeks. Cheerleaders are easy. Oh my God. <laughs> well, no, I'm just saying. I had a lot of more. I had more guy friends and female friends. But you know, I grew up around. <laughs> I would just say, from what my friends told me, especially my brothers, I've heard things, and like I also have female friends who are cheerleaders, so they will not be listening to this episode at all. But <laughs> if there are any cheerleaders listening, well, <laughs> my name is Ben Waterworth. My phone no, number is. They're not all easy. <laughs> they're not all easy, but the stories out there, you know. So I'm just look. I'm just saying from. I'm. Oh my. I'm, I'm gonna stop talking. I think I'm digging myself a bigger Best hole. Best line ever <laughs> said on the Oz Network. Uh. <laughs> Wow. Okay, then. I'm going to have, like, they're going to have me. We're just gonna, you're going to have Kim Raver and cheerleaders really getting pissed at you by the end of this season. Um, maybe maybe Kim Raver was a cheerleader, so. Oh, my God. Hey, hey, I'd be down for that. Kim Raver, if you're listening, if you're a cheerleader, my name is Ben Waterworth. My phone number is. No, I'll be more worried about the moms. Who, like, the moms, because, you know, sport moms, oh, my goodness, soccer moms and moms who are, like, parents of kids who do activities, they're the worst. <laughs> 
I like this this lady's throwaway oh. line. You know, like Jimmy's obviously they've worked on this routine. Like this is a common thing they do. But uh, you know how he gets there and he's all like, and it's important to have foods from all three of the food groups. And this woman's like, actually, there's four food groups. It's like <laughs> mic drop owns you on the food groups, sir. Um, but uh, it's, it's it's a nice scene again. I going back to what you say about Jimmy. It's good to get this. I like this this you know. This is just Jimmy being Jimmy. It's just it's just fun. Um, but sort of in between here, so a few scenes we get uh, kind of touching on a bit. He will group these together. So, uh, yeah, I think you mentioned it earlier about Doc and Carlos. Um, they're here with this lady who's hyperventilating. Doctors is basically like you're having a panic attack because you spoke to your mum. But uh, Doc sees the suitcase. Uh, sorry, Carlos sees the suitcases. They're driven in from Chicago. He feels her leg and essentially she's got, uh, I guess that's deep vein thrombosis, a uh, blood clot in the leg. So, um, you know, that's point one there to Carlos. So it's kind of, it's, it's an episode, isn't it? Where like Doc and Carlos are just showing their instincts in a way, aren't they? And it's, you said it, I think it's kind of like a level of respect for each other, which to me is interesting that kind of what we end up getting in the next episode happens. Because you kind of, at this point, you would feel that next episode should be now in terms of what happens between them because kind of have had this conflict up until this point but it's his level of respect and then kind of it goes away a little bit in the next episode but uh, I like it I like Doc and Carlos having moments of respect for each other I do too you know and we, he mentioned his services in this, his, this his service once again in this episode which we don't get as much and I actually was like oh yeah that's right because I forgot he was actually was it the Marines? Yeah, yeah the Marines and so, yeah, and so, like, it was cool to see that, you know, the respect. And he's like, Doc, I've seen this before. You know, and Doc is like, okay, I'm not going to question you. Yeah. But then that doesn't know that doesn't last. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Again, we'll get to that in the next episode. From here, we get uh, Yokus and Bosco. We go and meet Cesar Dominguez, who uh, we get this lovely... Again, we talked about, I think, in these first few episodes about Yokus can really be a hard-ass. You know, she's tough. You know, and this is, like, really tough Yokus, like, getting this guy against the car... Uh, kind of, you know, checking him for weapons and everything along those lines. And then when it comes down to it, uh, I love kind of that line when uh, she gets out, he gets out of the car and he's like, and here's Officer Buscarelli trying to show he's the man. Um, so it's kind of, it's, it's, it's good how that works out. And obviously from that point, they put him in the car, they take him out to two six of turf. And uh, this is the this is the first threat. This is kind of the you've got to tell us information about who shot this kid, or we're going to leave you behind here with your gang rivals, and they're basically going to uh, to rip you a new one essentially. Um, now, I don't know if you've got really a lot to add, kind of on this, because obviously this is going to come back into it at the end of the episode. But, um, again, hard-ass Yokus. She's the one driving this. I think you said it at the beginning of the episode. It's kind of like Bosco is Yokus this episode. Yokus is Bosco. Uh, but I like tough... I love tough Yokus. Like, I wish we get to see more of this because I feel we don't get to see as much tough Yokus as uh, as perhaps we, we get to see in this episode throughout the series run. I am so excited. <laughs> I love this right here. I just... I, <laughs> I am all Yokus in this episode. I'm all for it. Yes, and I just love it because, you know, this is when you really see the opposite. You don't get to see the opposite of Bosco and Faith. But this time, Bosco is like, whoa, you might want to step back, you know. So, it's the first time you get to see it. You get to see this, like, she's on a mission in this episode. You know, she has kids. She's a mom. A kid, you know, got shot. An innocent kid, you know, life's too short. A life, his life was taken, taken away, totally too, way too short, you know. And she's on a mission. 
I love this episode because you know there's not much that gets to Jokic and we've seen that, you know. But and it's good for her character development. It's really good to kind of show this side of her. It is. Um, that she's she's like it's it's interesting kind of you know we, we've all we've really seen in the first four episodes is Bosco is just Bosco he's gonna you know he's fire fire off his pants and just kind of you know go for it and he's willing to sort of do whatever it takes you know bend the rules to get what he wants and Yokus is that calm one but this is all Yokus this is Yokus literally willing to leave a guy in uh you know rival gang territory in order to scare the shit out of him to get information this obviously works because you know he he does give the information uh about uh another kid who shot this kid and what the kid's 11 or 12 little nemo as we find out his name is and basically we find out he's banging his mum uh so it, i mean it's just it's a very deep storyline this one we'll get to that yeah, i mean can we do you want to get into it now? Oh, no, well, I, look, I just, I think we can cover off a lot of these little scenes because I think there's a lot to talk about in terms of what, how this all ends. But just kind of before we get back to it, just a few little things that's happened in between then. Obviously, we get uh, Carlos uh, attempting very badly to flirt with Morales. It's either, I would say maybe very badly. I just think Morales is just, you know, she's just not interested. I love the way she just shuts him down, you know, how he's he's all like, oh, you know, yeah, that pulmonary embolism, you know, I caught it and blah, blah, blah. And the way she's just like, yeah, and then you would have been wrong. And then she just, like, walks off. <laughs> oh, my God. Like, Bosco, what she he say? He said, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> he was on point. Can I just point out? He can I just go, go back to your comment about cheerleaders, Brandy? That's generally how women react to me. So, like, if that was... If she's a cheerleader and that's me trying to do that, like, is she just going to, like, drop her pants at that point and I'm in? Or, like... <laughs> that sounded so bad. That sounded so bad. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, <laughs> You're going to hold this against me, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness me. Oh, not every cheerleader. Because I have friends who like, close friends that are cheerleaders. So I can't say Are, are they single? Have, yeah. Do, can I have their number? <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> this, is not, this is not find Ben a girlfriend, Ben. Like, stop. Leave Brandy alone. <laughs> oh. Oh my goodness yeah like i said i'm not gonna send this to them they might hate me forever you can send them my details but just don't send them the episode i know right you said what yeah. no clarify i've heard chilies are easy now i don't know if that is like on point but yeah i was yeah no cheerleaders anyway, you know brandy are easy I, only cheerleaders from rival schools and states who you don't no, like no, no, no. <laughs> Hey, I was not even on the Spurs team. I had just hang with all my friends. Like I have a lot, of bro- I have a lot of brothers. My brothers went to high school with me, and from what they was telling me. But then you know they could also been a female could have done them wrong. They could have been hating and said that. You never know. I mean, so who knows? Don't hold it. Don't hold me to it. But you know I do love this because like Dr. Morales, she is not phased by Carlos whatsoever. He thinks it's all cute. Like yeah, you know that was me. I found that, and she's just like oh yeah. And what if you were wrong? You know, <laughs> you would have been. I wrong. loved it. And, you know, and it's, it makes her so such a perfect, you know, character. And it's just, <laughs> I just it's funny, you and know. And Doc's I line, just, Doc's love, line of, she could barely keep her hands off of you. <laughs> I know. 
I love it. Lisa, Lisa Vidal, man. Oh, I, she's good. She's so we, good. Hopefully we can get her on the show as well. I forgot about that. I hopefully we can get her on the show. Yeah, oh, look, we'll try. She, she's, she is actually one of these ones that's bucked the trend. Like, it's not just ER. I shouldn't just kind of, you know, say that's the only thing she's been into. I, I think she's kind of, she's, she's a well-respected actress that has, has been in plenty. She's got some good movies. Yeah, like, yeah. Lifetime, she, she's, she's yeah, she has been in a fair few things. So it's kind of... Um, there are a few occasions of Third Watch where the actors and actresses aren't sucked into kind of this, you know, curse. I mean, you know, I think we've mentioned people like Bobby Cannavale, Nia Long, you know, Kim Raver. They've all gone on to bigger and better things. You know, Bob, again, I'm, I'd probably put the argument that easily Bobby Cannavale is the biggest star out of Third Watch to, to be, you know, easily. He's, you know, Emmy award winning and just he's gone on to big movies and just he's pretty well a well-known name and it's and bobby cannavale also married to an australian actress um and i've gone completely blank on her name as soon as i was about to name drop that um oh that's annoying me she's so famous too um um oh okay no i can't i can't continue until i find her name uh rose Byrne. how did i not know that come on ben yeah <laughs> oh my god she's awesome i love her too she's awesome australian. i like she is so Yep. She is hilarious. Yep, I'm a big Rose Byrne fan. I was a huge fan of the show Damages. I don't know if you ever saw that one with Glenn Close. Um, but, you know, Bridesmaids. Um, oh, she's been Bridesmaids in so many things, Rose Byrne. And uh, one of these ones I find, I mean, look, there are so many Australians in Hollywood now, but I kind of think she's one of these ones that people even in Australia forget she's Australian. So um, there's, there's our Australian connection. An Australian married Bobby. So sorry, Kim. Um, <laughs> <laughs> didn't didn't quite work out that no. way. Um but yeah, so obviously we get that and we also get um Joey sick. Uh he goes to tell Bobby rather than Jimmy and then I love it kind of when Bobby obviously, you know, takes him to the toilet and then Kim like says to Jimmy, like, you know, Joey's sick again. It's like, Oh, what why? Where is he? It's like, What did you feed him? Just some pizza and candy. Like <laughs> Like, well, luckily he looks to the side. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I just notice he got up. Yeah. 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 It's a recurring thing, isn't it? Kind of, he doesn't notice it. He just kind of, like, leaves. But we get we get this kind of, like, line from Kim, you know, about, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, again, putting Jimmy into his place, you know, like, I'm the bitch and you're the one who gets to have fun. It's getting old, Jimmy. It's getting old. And, um, yes. you know, this is all about Jimmy, obviously, responsible fathering. Um we get some, um, so here we get back to Bosco and Yokus. They go to this uh, little Nemo's mother, uh, and she just doesn't want a bar of them. And then basically, I like that that line that Yokus, you know, just again, hard as not Yokus, where he's like basically like you're going to sacrifice your son so you can say tight with a man. Uh, and then, you know, this mother basically not caring all of a sudden is just like, oh, is he going to be arrested? Can you tell him I love him? And Bosco's just like, you can tell him yourself. Um, I mean, again, it's very deep stuff, you know, isn't it? It's uh, very heavy. It's real, though. It's real. I know moms like that. Like, they're not my friends, but I know moms like that. And actually, I'm a foster kid, you know, so mm-hmm. trust me. It's sad, though, because it's real. And that's what I like about Third Watch, though, because it's so real. It's so gritty. And it's tr- so true. It holds to the truth, you know? Mm. But, yeah. It's, yeah. It and, it, I mean, this is just, again, we get to how this storyline concludes, but... It's just gritty and, like, I mean, look, I on my side of things, I've never sort of experienced this way of life, um, nor do I sort of know anybody in this way of life. And, and obviously, it would be quite different in Australia compared to how it would be in America. Um, but, I mean, look, I find this incredibly realistic. You know, it's, it's it doesn't feel like this is a TV show or force. Like, it's just the way it's done, I think. And you're right. I think The Third Watch handles it very, very well with kind of, like, 
you know, the the realism of this. So, um, we'll obviously see when it um, comes to that. I guess kind of we can just touch here quickly on Bobby and Jimmy playing basketball. I think we've taught, sort of mentioned about the Bobby-Jimmy rivalry, sort of. It's more been uh, Jimmy-Bosco rivalry, but uh, obviously we've got sort of the untalked-about love triangle between Kim, Jimmy, and Bobby, and this is really our first um, Bobby-Jimmy moment. And I, I kind of think... This is the only Bobby-Jimmy moment. Like, the only other time I can think of Bobby and Jimmy even being referenced in anything is... Yeah, there's a scene coming up in one of these later episodes with Jimmy and... Yeah, I, this is it. I, I can't even picture any other moment. I, and I like it. Like, I kind of like this sort of rivalry between the two because you can see these two should be rivals. You know, they're both in love with Kim... Uh, they're, you know, both very attractive men, and but they've both got their different qualities, don't they? Like, it balances well for Kim because how she said a couple of episodes, like, I like a man with an edge. Um, you know, clearly you got Jimmy, who's, um, I guess, the you know, the bad boy sort of, you know, sexy guy who's, you know, got a bit of an edge, so to speak, and yet you've got Bobby, who's sort of, you know, the nice guy, the guy with feelings, you know, he's kind of, you know, he's a mother's boy and he's got, a, you know, family values and all that sort of stuff, so good side of the spectrum and then we get this sort of basketball game which you know starts with jimmy basically coming in and going off at bobby for teaching joey to shoot like a girl um and then uh, it's a very sexist episode this one apparently uh and then we get this basketball match which ends up joey walking off he wants to see them play first of all but now he just gets bored of it and walks off i mean he's six i guess that's not what they do right um and then you know jimmy kind of implies like $50 bet, and then, you know, Bobby's like, look, I'm not taking your money. You know, Jimmy's plays a bit dirty, you know, pushing him down, fouls him, and then Bobby sort of complains, and Jimmy's like, oh, stop crying. Um, and then ultimately, it went, you know, Bobby wins, yay, hashtag Team Bobby, and then Jimmy goes to give him his $50, and then Bobby obviously has this speech about, you know, give that money to Kim, and then basically tells him about how he should be a father and not a friend. I, it's a great sequence. I like this this whole scene between Bobby and Jimmy. It's definitely a deep scene. It's a deep scene because, I mean, you do get to see the two dynamics of these characters. And uh, with Bobby, he just explains, like, you know, I had a dad. He wanted to be my friend. I had no friends. All I needed was a father. And Joey walks off because he's, I think Joey knows that his dad is not the best dad. You know, and that's why he does go to Bobby. And uh, he walks off because, you know, at first he's like, yeah, I want to see a game between you two. Like, hopefully he could join in. But then he notices his dad becomes more against Bobby and it's Jimmy's insecurity, his ego and his insecurities trying to outgame Bobby, you know. He feels threatened. Yeah. And so you get to see that, you know, and And it works. I'll touch more on that later. Yeah. Later on in the next season. Yeah, for, for sure. For sure, definitely. It kind of comes from, yeah. But yeah. It definitely works, and um, you know it's, it's kind of one of these things. I think I said it back episodes ago when it's kind of like the Jimmy Bosco rivalry. Kind of, it's there, but it never happens. It never develops, and it's kind of like this never develops. It happens too. It's it's a Jimmy thing, maybe. Like he he doesn't have time for rivalries. He's Jimmy. He's too busy banging women in the supermarket or something like that. I don't know. Um, now, sort of in between this, so we've had a sort of a fleeting scene of Bosco and Yokus approaching Little Nemo in the park. Um, and kind of asking if they'd seen him. No, he hasn't. Um, okay, that's great. But then we obviously uh, go back to uh, Bosco and Yokus, who have... Um, I love this speech that Yokus gives, where she's basically like, you know, do you ever feel like that we're just no more than janitors uh, with guns, you know, clean-up crews with guns? 
And it's kind of, it's, I don't know, like, I like these scenes when kind of they're just explaining how they feel and it's kind of, it's an interesting way of um, sort of describing it because she's obviously, you know, feeling that's how she's thinking today. And kind of from this point on, we get the uh, the call over the radio. It's uh, it's Geronimo's address. Uh, this kid has been stabbed. So the mother from before, Little Nemo's mother, uh, basically her other kid that we saw, I think, in the background, uh, he's been stabbed. And we find out that it was Caesar who did it. So uh, this is what's going to lead us to the finale. But before we get that, a couple of other scenes here. So uh, Jimmy uh, watching the football with Joey again. I mean, I guess kind of concluding that storyline with Jimmy, sort of we get him giving the child support, obviously, to Kim, which he's won on football. Um, so it's, you know, it's a nice little way of closing that one out. It's a good Jimmy episode. I think we've talked a lot about Jimmy, but... Um, Unless you've got really anything else to add on how Jimmy ends it with the money, giving it to Kim or anything like that? No, not really. I mean, I really want to touch on the the Bosco and Fred Oh, we're getting the there. Season. You know, I mean, that's what I'm... Because that one I'm all for. Man. We are getting there. Yeah. Don't worry. I sort of in between there as well. Um, Kim with... Uh, so, you know, we see them working on the kid that's just been stabbed. And this leads us going to the hospital and another Morales going off at people scene. This time going off at Kim for performing a procedure in the field without permission. And we get Doc V. Morales. The first time we get Doc V. Morales. And uh, let's just say, without spoiling anything, just let's take note on Doc versus Morales. Comes a bit of a thing. Mm-hmm. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a good scene because, you know, here's Doc standing up for, for Kim. You know, he's standing up for his medics. Um, and kind of, we get this, you know, little talk about, uh, you know, obviously it's kind of doctors versus paramedics, as we were saying before. And, um, yeah, I, I, I like it. I, I think that Lisa Vidal and Michael Beach work so well. The chemistry between these two is amazing. And even when they're fighting, it just, you just, it's just so believable. So I just wanted to give special notes to, uh, that, that sequence there. You know, and it touch, again, it touches on also just how the two, like, I love how he says, like, well, we need, a, you know, your job is keep him alive. But or like he said, we got to get him here alive, you know, because, again, protocol. And but you said they do it so well and it sets up something so gorgeous, too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess kind of we should really quickly mention, too, because we'll focus the last bit here on um, on Bosco and, and Yokus and this whole storyline. But we should, I guess, really mention we've kind of not mentioned this person's name in a while. Jerry. Uh, we see Doc visiting Jerry. There he is. Remember him? Um, and basically we find out that Jerry is retiring. Here we go. This is the end of Jerry, essentially. Well, at least in, um, it's not dying or anything, Ben. Uh, but we basically find out that he can take disability pay, 75% of their salary tax-free, which means he will get more than actually working. And basically saying about how he'll get to hang out with the wife and the kids and sort of, you know, spend his days doing all that. So he's not coming back. Doc's obviously very sad. This, though, this this makes me sad, this scene, because it's kind of the thing that I know we've sort of touched on, but I think we need to just keep paying attention to the little things that keep happening to Doc. The Doc storyline from start to finish is just tragic. It's the tragic tale of Doc. And this is where things, I think this is kind of the first real instance of something bad happening to him. And I'm not talking about, obviously, pre-show, before we've ever met Doc. Sadly, his wife has died. So you probably argue that is when things started. But this is Jerry. He's leaving. His best friend, his brother, 
is leaving, you know, this is it. He doesn't get to work with him every day. And we get this line where Jerry says, like, you're still going to come over four nights a week. And Doc's kind of like, yeah, okay, I will. Now, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. We never see it. I'm sure that happens. But, spoiler alert, Jerry does come back into the show, I think, and I think it's season three or four. I'm pretty sure it's three. And when he does come back in... He is only in it for a couple of episodes, but it's implied that they lose track of each other. They lose contact because it's kind of, it's a shock to see him after so much time. So at some point here, Jerry and Doc stop seeing each other for four nights a week. This brotherly friendship. And this is the sadness of this sequence because I'm thinking like, wow, this is so sad that this just goes away. And so this is kind of like Mark one against Doc. He's lost his best friend working with him. At some point, he loses contact with him. So just keep an eye on this trend. Poor Doc has a sad, sad storyline, the way it all works out for him. And it's it's interesting how this kind of starts. I'm just, I just wanted to point this out here because I just felt sad in this scene. Yeah, I'm getting depressed over here. I'm getting depressed over here because I'm like, I'm trying to think of like, when is Doc happy? Because he is happy, but then, as you know it, there's things that kind of take away from his happiness. I'm all, like, in the press over here, like, wow. But this is, it's, it's an interesting thing because I think you and I talked about this off-air about ultimately what happens to Doc's character. And when it first happened, I just did not like it. I hated how it ended. I'm like, that's how can they do that with Doc? Like, that is terrible. Like, what a terrible way to end his storyline. But just now, exactly. it makes sense. To me, I'm fine with it. Like, to me, it makes perfect sense when you analyse every step of what leads Doc to that point. So, this is the first bit. This, to me, is the first bit of what we've seen. Again, taking out of the fact that his wife died in a boating accident. This, to us, on screen, is the first bit of Doc's path to a very sad finish. And I love that you said, when is Doc happy? That makes it even sadder. <laughs> No, you, you're, I'm listening to you talk, and I'm, like, truly trying to think of, like, every episode. I'm like, oh, he's happy. Then I'm like, nope, that happens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, no, it makes sense. When, but, you know, and it makes sense because it's natural to, like, when something happens to a character that we love, we, our first instinct to, is to react, yeah. you know, and get upset, especially if you don't like it. But then when we look back and... We're, we walk away from it for a bit. We walk, we go back. We're like, you know what? That makes sense. Now it's a perfect ending. And you're actually very happy that that ending happened yep. for that character. Yep. You know? So, yeah. For sure. But. For sure. I just wanted to point that out. We are going very long in this episode. And we've got to talk about this closing. But uh, I'm sure people are enjoying it. If you're listening to this, you're a fan of Third Watch. Of course, you're enjoying it. But basically now from here with the, Bo- the Bocus and Yosko. The Yokus and Bosco. I like that. <laughs> that's, that's a good name for them. So, uh, clearly at this point. As we've sort of mentioned, Yokus and Bosco have found out that Caesar has stabbed this little kid sort of as what revenge, I guess, for, uh, you know, shooting this, like, he shouldn't have shot a kid, he's killed a kid. So, it's, I don't know, a weird way of doing it, revenge. So, basically, here we go. Yokus and Bosco are back out. They take in Caesar, back into the car, sort of Caesar saying, like, oh, we've done this already. I'll be back out in the street in an hour, you know, like, you know, not scared at all. We get this great speech by Yokus in the car, basically, you know, explaining how, you know, he's going to get away with it because, you know, no one's going to talk. He's got a lawyer. He'll be out here, this, that, and everything out. And, you know, it's kind of, it's it's sort of explaining, I guess, what is about to happen. So here we go. We're back into two six of turf. They pull up, take out Caesar from the car. She removes the handcuffs and all of a sudden Caesar's getting scared. Then he, he confesses. He confesses he stabbed the kid. And then Bosco is like, hey, look, there we go. He confessed. And Yoko says the line of what, like, oh, look, a first-year attorney could have gotten that confession. 
So it's kind of like you're thinking here, like, is Yoke, is she really going to do this? Is she going to leave this guy here on the enemy territory, essentially get murdered? And you're thinking, like, no, this isn't going to happen. This isn't going to happen. And then, uh, you know, she, he tries to sort of fight back. We get Yoka's punching him. Go, Yoka's. Bosco coming in to take his knees out with the nightstick. And then basically she says, you know, if you keep fighting me, I'll leave the cuffs on you. And then you try defending yourself there. Gets in the car. You keep thinking to yourself, oh, no, they're not going to drive off. No way. Yoka's wouldn't do this. Bosco, as you kind of said, is being Yoka's here. Bosco is sort of, you know, trying to talk her out of it. And I missed a quote, a great quote that Bosco had earlier in the episode when they went to approach the mother before. And Bosco said, like, if you're relying on me being the level-headed one, we're going to have some problems. And it's kind of... This is kind of a build-up to that. And then Yokus is basically like, you know, come on, boss, let's go. And he's like, you know, are you sure about this? He's like, damn it, Bosco, let's go. And I love how he says, you're going to be sad in the morning. And she's like, I'm going to be sad in the morning anyway. Uh, and then they drive off, and the two sixes beat Cesar Dominguez to death. Now, this is dark. This is two police officers. Okay, really one, but Bosco's obviously a partner. He's going to back her up. Basically, getting a guy murdered. Um, there's no other way about putting this at all. And it's kind of... What amazes me is that how it's kind of just pawned off. Like, I know next episode we sort of get a, hey, we should cover our stories and all that sort of stuff. But, like, how is this not investigated more? I'm sure these, like, two sixes, are they really going to defend the cops? Are they not going to say, like, oh, yeah, he was dropped off here by a police car? Because you think about it, like, when the detectives show up and find this body and are investigating it, of course they're going to try and at least question the the enemy gang members. But are they really going to be like, oh, I'm not going to say nothing? You know, like, I'm sure they want to snitch on the cops first chance they've got. So, to me, it's kind of like, isn't that the first thing that comes out of their mouth? Oh, yeah, a police car dropped him off here. But obviously (laughs) they don't want to snitch on the police for some reason. But it's kind of, I think you might have mentioned in an early episode about how Bosco's pretty much willing to do anything and everything to, you know, do what it takes. But he ultimately never really goes through with a lot of what he says he's going to do. He kind of, you know, we had that episode, obviously, you know, in the second episode where he could have easily shot uh, the guy who he then kind of jumped out a window with. You know, he kind of, he threatens stuff, but he doesn't really do it. This is Yoka's literally basically killing someone. I know she doesn't pull the trigger, but, I mean, he's not dead if it's not for Yoka's. And at what point in this series does Bosco ever do something this dramatic? Like, I think it works. I'm not saying it's a bad thing because, like, it's it's deep. It's very, very heavy how it's handled. But you've just got to kind of look at this in a way of kind of really analysing this sequence and what happens that Yokus, at the end of the day, she's kind of a murderer. Yeah, it's not It's not so... I don't know. I want to say it's not so black and white. But before I get into it, cause I, I love when, like, the first time around, she's like... Christmas came, Christmas came early, boys. Latin load on this street. Yeah. <laughs> I just love how she said earlier. But now, to get into this, honestly, real life stuff, you grew up differently, right? Absolutely. I mean, you had different. Absolutely. You know, I get where it's coming from. Honestly, real life. I get where it's coming from. And honestly, yeah. I'm not saying that I would kill someone on purpose. But yeah, having a kid of my own, and I grew up in gangs. I grew up around the gangs. I can see where it's coming from, and I can see that truly happening in real life. Simple as that. Mm. It's like... This guy is going to keep on killing kids. Are you going to really feel guilty about taking him off the streets? No. Not when you know there's kids every day that can die because of this dude. You know, and this is coming from someone who's had friends get killed literally by gun violence, other violence. Real talk, you know. And so, I don't find it as, to me, I don't know, it's just different. 
Because I listen to you talk, and I'm just like, you're like just in so awe. And to me, I'm just like, this is just normal to me. <laughs> like, this is real life. I would have faith back in a heartbeat. And that's fascinating to me because, like, I guess, yeah, like, clearly different worlds in terms of how we've grown up. And, I mean, even different societies, I'd say, Brandy, because, I mean, um, and this is no disrespect to America, but, I mean, stuff to that level doesn't often happen in Australia. I mean, I'm not saying we don't have gangs. I'm not saying we don't have street violence. Of course we do. All, all places, you know, in the world do, but not to that level. I mean, if something like this happened in Australia, this would be big news. Whereas I'm guessing, again, no disrespect to America, but I'm guessing this sort of stuff happens quite often. So it's kind of, it's, it's not a case of this being a news story all the time, if you know what I mean. It happens quite often, depending. I mean, and you, you're not just, I love that we can talk about this because you know we're from different countries. It's awesome. You know, not everyone I know, there's people here in America who's never had lost somebody to gun violence, who's never seen a gang member or anything like that. But then I was a foster kid who didn't have really any parents. You know, I had to find my own way. I raised myself in a way, you know. And uh, when you're out in the streets, literally, like just hanging with your friends, you kind of run into trouble. You meet gang members. You see kind of, I see all kinds of things, you know. And, mm. and so I kind of get this. That's, I think that's why Third Watch means so much to me. It's like when I see the grittiness of it, I see how real it is. Like, you know, when you think about Bosco is like faith, you're going to feel sad in the morning. But honestly, as a person, if I had the power like faith did, and this is real life, and I was her partner, and it came down to kids dying because I've had friends get killed. Because, like, I've had people go to jail, get out on bail and kill one of my friends. Literally, that's what happened like a couple years ago, my best friend. And, uh, yeah, if it comes down to it, and you look at all the many, the many lives you save, yeah. I get where she's coming from, and I, I'm with Faith in this whole episode. I, I, all the- I guess my point, like, I should reiterate, in no way am I against what Faith has done. I absolutely, I yeah. guess, agree. It's just, it's just I guess kind of my perspective of it is that, yeah. is how does she get away with it? It's kind of, and it's kind of also a case of, like, going back to what we're saying about protocol, right? Like, you know, obviously, I think maybe that's probably the overall theme of this episode, you know, is, is protocol and, like, the rules that they've got to follow. And I think there's a far step from taking a kid in a police car to a hospital instead of waiting for an ambulance, you know, Kim performing a procedure without yeah. that, to literally leaving someone behind to die. And, like, look, I, my, my point is kind of just, I guess, it's it's deep and shocking the fact that it's it's Yokus that does it. It's, you know, you would believe it would be Bosco that does it. And I guess my point is it's just interesting how it's kind of, it's gelled over from this point on. We get a brief mention of it in the next episode. It's never kind of mentioned, and it's kind of thinking, like, can police really... And I'm sure this stuff happened. has happened in real life, that police have done this. But it's kind of... It, it goes back to just that grey area of, like, does she get away with this? And, and w- would this... I guess yeah. you know what. You know what? I think I can see where you're coming from. Because, like, then again, like, in America, there's a lot of corruption. Yeah, yeah, especially yeah. in the police force, you know. You know, I met good cops and bad cops, and I'm not surprised that she got away with it. No, I'm not. I mean, if you look at what's going on in the news right now, so many cops have killed, in, like, unarmed men. Yeah, well, you know, I guess, some of them are also I guess kind of just quickly on that, that's kind of was, like, where I was going to go with that as well. It was kind of like, yeah, that is, I mean, that's obviously a big thing in recent I mean, times. Not, and then, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's, and I guess that's different in a way. The police are literally shooting those people, um, whereas this, Faith hasn't gotten the gun out and shot this guy. She's just 
left him in an no, area where she knows he's going to get hit. Yeah, exactly. Witnesses. Exactly. So, and if they get caught on a camera, they get caught. But there's cops who have gotten caught and gotten went to jail for murder in America because of and it. And I guess there's also so different not- times as well. Like, I mean, this is 1999. Yeah. I'm sure if they filmed this in 2017, they wouldn't get the same reaction. Like, I guess oh, no. it's kind of... No, no. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess maybe that's what we need to put this down to as well. It's kind of... Um, you wouldn't have this storyline, I feel, in 2017. You would have it from the perspective from the victim, not the police, because that's what is no, stri- no. will strike an emotional chord with the audience, given what's happened in recent times. I will say this, though. It could happen now, depending, because, like, you got... It's, it comes down to the gangs, too. Yeah. Like, it's... I get, I, can, I get it, too, because, like, if, that's, if this guy is shooting somebody else's kid on it, like, okay, like... One thing, gangs here, you do not touch kids, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Caesar, he's a real life, he's a real life uh, dude, and he happens to shoot one of the other gang members' kids, and a cop brings him to that. They're not going to say anything yeah. because that's a rule in the streets. You don't touch a kid at all. You do not touch kids. So I could see it happening in 2017 in some like the darker, darker areas, like the, some of the darker hoods, but not not likely though. Yeah. But yeah, no. So. It's um. It's 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 great to get your perspective with this, Brandy. I'll just say that quickly because, um, you know, it's it's obviously we have led very different lives uh, to this point. And, I mean, for our listeners, um, just kind of quickly, I mean, Brandy and I, I guess you and I are sort of our associations with each other. We, we met in a Third Watch fan group and here we are podcasting about Third Watch. We haven't sort of had a whole lot of, I guess, getting to know each other sessions outside of what we've been doing here. So it's fascinating to get sort of that side of, of your life and to hear that. And uh, I, I just would say quickly, thank you for sharing that because I obviously I understand it's probably not something that is, um, I guess, easy in a way to kind of just openly share for people to hear about. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's fascinating to get your insight on that. No, I appreciate it. It's only because like, it's, it's, I guess it's normal. You know, if it wasn't normal, it wouldn't be as easy. But I mean, there's so many stories out there where people have, like, come from backgrounds like this and then, like, made it, you know, successfully and talked about it. So, yeah. For sure, if we get an episode in the future here, Brandy, where there happens to be kangaroos and killer snakes and spiders, then maybe I'll be able to relate to it a little bit more, but... uh... Maybe we can Photoshop something. Yeah, maybe, maybe. The, the episode with kangaroos, I don't quite remember the third watch. Uh, before we sort of get to Rent, Buy It and Bin It, I, I mean, you know, as again, we've gone very long in this episode, but it doesn't matter with what to talk about. Well, obviously, just quickly talk about the closing. I think the closing is perfect. The song, which is beautiful, it's called Bleed by a band called Negro Problem. It's uh, it's such an emotional song, and just the, the way it closes off, you know, Doc ripping off Jerry's name tag, Bosco in the shower, got the crime scene, uh, you know, Sully in the chair, kind of going right back to the beginning, uh, sort of saying that, and then just the scene, and, like, I don't really get emotional too much in TV shows. I mean, as I've sort of mentioned, there is one episode of Third Watch which I will always cry in. It's not this one, but it does sort of get the emotions flowing a little bit with Yokus curling up there with Emily and sort of crying, and you just get that line from Emily when she says, don't cry, mummy. It's just kind of like, damn, that's going to make me cry. (laughs) I just love this episode so much, and this song, it couldn't have been any more perfect. I love this song. song. This is how it's how I found it. I, like I have this on my phone now. Yep, this song. So do I. Because it's so deep. And every time, <laughs> see, and every time I listen to it, I imagine this scene. And because it's it's sad. Because it is sad that. And I think this goes back to like this being faith so innocent. You know, she does. She's not heartless. You know, yeah. she does feel it, but she doesn't regret it. But you, it shows that she comes. She comes home and she hugs her daughter and she just starts crying because. It's just like you know she dealt with death. You know of these kids dying and. Yeah. I think it's just it's just part of the streets you know and i is 
it touches me, you know. I mean, it does touch me. And we're going to touch on this a lot in terms of the music. We, we have mentioned it and we'll keep talking about it. I mean, again, as we, I think we did touch on it briefly about how really the issue behind this not Third Watch ever being released fully on DVD is, of course, it's the music really is holding it back. It's kind of because you can get the rights to broadcast a song in an episode on network TV, but it's then kind of getting the constant usage rights to put it on a DVD or a digital version of it. So, uh, and I think kind of the ship has long sailed now to ever get official releases of anything post-season two, sadly. But, um, you know, Netflix or something like that might come to the rescue one day. But they, they use these songs so effectively. I mean, kind of, again, going back to the fact that we're doing a Nip Tuck rewatch at the same time, it's I'm finding that both shows use music so effectively in their scenes. And um, just like I've mentioned on our Nip Tuck rewatch, there are songs from Nip Tuck that just always take me back to the show no matter what circumstance I hear the song in, and Third Watch is the same. There are plenty of songs throughout this series I will hear, and straight away I automatically think of Third Watch. So um, we'll touch on that. There are obviously more sort of episodes of that. But, uh, Brandy, what are we doing with this episode are we buying it renting it or binning it buying yes it. <laughs> you didn't even hesitate you're just like you're like ben what are you buying it duh buying it because <laughs> like it just i love it it's just one of those most it's one of the most prominent show episodes yep. of this series completely agree you know for sure i definitely definitely am buying this there's no question in my mind about this episode um and this is an episode i would even say like if you've, if you've got a friend who's never watched Third Watch, um, show them this episode. Uh, I think that this, you know, it's got all those layers to it that really deserve a, an episode. And I guess we kind of didn't really touch on we, we sort of brushed aside the whole Sully Davis thing, but you've kind of got that comedic storyline mixed in with a very deep storyline, but it does it in a, in a really fantastic way. You know, there are definitely future episodes of Third Watch which you feel, that, I guess, the comedic storyline is forced and it just doesn't work. Whereas, like, this one, it works. It's just silly and stupid and easily forgettable, but at the same time, memorable. You know, it's kind of, it's done well. So, um, yeah, there you go. That is, uh, that is a very deep and long episode. It's our longest episode we've done so far of our Third Watch. But again, we're not complaining. If you're listening to this, you love Third Watch. So, you're not complaining, I feel, either. That is our responsible parties. Our next episode, Sunny Like Sunshine. Um, again, bit happening in this episode. We, uh, we've got the Bobby Kim storyline has a bit of a resolution, I feel, in this one. Doc and Carlos literally come to blows. And um, we sort of get uh, Faith and Bosco not really doing much compared to this episode, at least. Um, although there is one of my favourite... We're talking about funny moments in Third Watch. One of my favourite moments, I think, in the history of the show. Just a really forgettable situation. But to me, it's just hilarious the way it happens. But I'll talk about that in the next episode. But yeah, I'm looking forward to the next episode. It's another good one. I would say it's definitely an interesting one. I mean, it's not one of my favorites, but it's interesting. Mm, well, we'll get to it. Sunny like sunshine. <laughs> uh, again, um, we will we will talk about it. As always, we thank you for your company here on uh, the Oz Network. And if you're enjoying our Third Watch episode recaps, then, of course, by all means, send us in some comments, theoznetwork at hotmail.com. Let us know your thoughts. If you've got any questions, comments on things that are being talked about, if you've got anything that you want us to bring up in future episodes uh, or anything along those lines, please let us know if you if you're a dana defender maybe she's got a fan out there i really don't know um but you can subscribe to us on itunes stitcher wherever good podcasts are downloadable by and remember while you're there pretty please rate us and uh leave us feedback we will appreciate that as well but we will close this out now by saying my name is ben 
and I'm going to feel sad in the morning. And just before I close it out, I would say no harm to cheerleaders was done <laughs> in the making of this podcast. And apologies. <laughs> apologies ahead of time. Please forgive me. But my name is Brandy, and does this usually work for you, this sleepless in Seattle thing? Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.